Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Edward Ryle, who is the co-founder of Neptune Mutual. Um, Edward, uh, good good morning. Well, it's good, just about good afternoon where I am. Um, where, where are you joining us from? Hi, Alex. Yeah, pleased to join you. I'm calling in from uh, Bordeaux, so southwest of France. Oh, very nice. I, I actually, um, I didn't know that. I thought you were going to be um, Asia-bound for some reason. Um, I think some of the team is. So I might be making that up. But um, no, I know Bordeaux very well. I went there for a very lovely, very lovely holiday. Obviously, too much wine, as you can imagine. But um, otherwise, <laughs> why go? Um, Ed, Edward, it's really kind of you to join us. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, but, you know, co-founder of Neptune Mutual. I think it'd be really good if you could just start with introducing the Neptune uh, Mutual business and, and what it is exactly you do. Sure, yes, I'd be happy to. So um, I think most of your listeners will be familiar with the fact um, that blockchain over the last few years has opened up opportunities for um, investors of one form or another to own digital assets. Um, and where you have um, assets, then uh, there's risk associated with holding those assets, um, and Neptune Mutual was designed as a way to mitigate some of those risks. So it is categorized as a DeFi insurance protocol, um, and so Neptune Mutual uh, provides um, in its marketplace um, the opportunity for projects to create cover pools, um, and in so doing, and enables those communities to purchase cover policies that protect the digital assets of those communities. So that, that's the sort of um, a little bit of the uh, a summary, I suppose, of what Neptune Mutual, uh, what, what Neptune Mutual is, what it does. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, you guys, you raised relatively recently, didn't you? It was a sort of $10 million round Series A. Um, uh, what, what, I was like the founding stories. How did the team know each other? How did you all get together? Um, yeah. So I guess we, uh, we're a true um a true fit with a sort of decentralized culture of um well of much of the blockchain anyway uh we talk about the DeFi, so decentralized finance space um and our team is very much uh um true to that that's to say um so the uh originator and the ceo of uh, neptune mutual um binod navan um is nepalese he's based in nepal and dubai um, and he has a background in uh, blockchain uh, dating way back to the very beginning of blockchain, um, but his expertise is in cybersecurity, um, and he is the person who's been responsible for the tech development of of the company to date. Um, and the other co-founder is Jillian Jillian Wu, who's based in Hong Kong. Uh, she is, um, uh, in addition to being co-founder of Neptune Mutual, she runs a crypto uh, venture capital firm that she founded, uh, Mulana Capital, and she previously was uh, um, uh, CEO of Hobie Asset Management and was responsible for getting all the compliance and licenses for uh, Hobie's digital asset uh, management company in Hong Kong. So um, yeah, so I'm in Europe, we have Jillian in Hong Kong and uh, Binod who um, is in Dubai and, uh, and Nepal. Brilliant. A decentralized team for a decentralized exactly. Yeah, I like it. I like yes. it. Um, there is something about that that probably feels much more natural than than, than other places because it's a, it's a it's a very much a decentralized marketplace. Um, I, I'm I'm going to clarify off the bat, Edward. I think I told you when we spoke before that my knowledge of this area is probably um, some really badly thought out investments in various cryptocurrencies um, over 
quite a boozy Christmas. Um, and I haven't looked at it since because I think that seems to be the best advice I've had from my friends is that if I did look, it wouldn't be very pretty. Um, but I, I think it's good to sort of start clarifying some of the kind of um, numbers around this. So just, I just, how big is this sort of insurance risk in the crypto marketplace? Um, well, I suppose the easiest thing is to uh, quantify the the assets in the space. Um, uh, that's probably the easiest number. And uh, so some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, DeFi Llama. I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, data aggregators where you can get pick up this information from. Um, DeFi Llama is quite simple and easy to use. And if you go there and have a look at uh, what we call TVL, so that's the total value locked, that gives you some indication as to the assets in the space. Um, and in the de- decentralized finance, so the DeFi space, you'll find there's around about 49 billion dollars worth of assets. Um, and so arguably speaking, all of those assets are at risk um, from one sort or, an- or, or another. And, and that, I mean, I suppose we'll probably get onto this, but I'm sort of defining what what the risks are and what what, what are the specific risk exposures that, that we're covering for. Um, well, of course, there is. There's a whole like um, there's a whole uh, spectrum of different types of risks, um, and uh, depending on what part of the crypto market you're interested in and involved in, obviously, there's different types of risk. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, you know, ma- many people will be familiar with some of the risks of the centralized model. Um, so, we heard last year at FTX. So, FTX is a centralized exchange. Um, and where you're trusting a centralized authority um, by depositing your crypto or your digital assets with that uh, centralized entity and you've you've deposited there, then um, like any central centralized authority, whether it be crypto or indeed a bank, as again, we've seen um, even more recently this year, um, those assets can be at risk. So um, SVB, um, one might have thought that was a safe place um, to deposit your assets, but it turned out that wasn't the case. Um, so if centralized centralized institutions across the board, uh, TradeFi, CFI, custody risk is, is is what we call it, is where you've placed uh, your deposit. And that is something which you have to be careful of. Um, so um, in the Neptune Mutual cover marketplace, we do have some CFI, centralized finance protocols, where you can, as a user, um, take out a cover policy to protect yourself against the risk of um, a centralized entity. Um, so we, on our cover marketplace, for example, have a partnership with OKX Exchange. Um, and there, if there is a liquidity problem with uh, OKX, then uh, those people who have, those users who have cover policies on uh, on our marketplace will get paid out in the event that that kind of risk occurs. Um, so that's one type of risk um, in the centralized part of the part of the system. In the decentralized um, part of the system, um, we talk more about other types of technical risk um, because being decentralized, um, much of the financial transactions that take place are being managed through smart contracts. Um, So you don't have to trust an individual or a centralized entity for something to happen. You have to trust the code um, that it works. Um, And so the risk in those types of projects, so DeFi projects, are that the code doesn't work for one reason or another. Um, and so for that type of risk, uh, smart contract risk, you can also buy cover um, on in our marketplace. Perfect, perfect. 
And I think that I think that clarification is important because one thing I wanted to move on to is is that you know if I listen to the noise out in the um, traditional insurance markets and, and the markets that we're and, and the audience are probably much more aware of, um, you'd, you'd think that they've got this on handle or, or at least they're sort of attempting to handle it. Um, what has uh, def- DeFi insurance got wrong today, and 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 suppose you know why is there a need for a Neptune Mutual in this instance? Uh, so a, a couple of questions there, and I think the uh, the first thing I would say is um, I don't necessarily think that um, to date DeFi insurance has got anything wrong. Um, there's definitely things that can be done differently. Um, there's a huge amount of opportunity for innovation, um, and I mean if you have a look at the space at the moment. Um, I think you can see that there's room for improvement um, quite simply because um, the the DeFi insurance category is so small. It's um, I think it's around about three $330 million um, worth of TVL to total value locked, which when you could put in in comparison to the $50 billion or $49 billion worth of assets, you can see there's, there's it, it's really very, very small. Um, so m- way more than 99% of digital assets are totally unsecured, which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense um, when you immediately think of uh, doing transactions and activity in w- what most people would consider is a risky place. Um, so I think the important thing is to ask, well, why, <laughs> and what is it that um, you know we can do better in the in the insurance category, and that's something that we thought very very hard about, um, because I think um, you know insurers um, are risk averse, and one thing that is is true is that um, the blockchain space is new, it's young. There's not that much data available because it is so young. Um, the risks associated with blockchain projects are therefore also uh, young, or that's to say um, they need a lot of um, very specific technical expertise to understand them and try and evaluate them. Um, so it is quite understandable, and I would say even normal, that traditional insurance um are reticent about jumping into a space with so little data, so little information, um, and and so many risks um, because it, it's not easy to get it right. And I think we've had a great start. Um, Nexus Mutual is the market leader and they've done a great job. There are a number of others as well um, who have been pay, paid out when incidents have arisen. Um, and that's obviously very, very important to establish credibility. And a number of uh, uh, insurance protocols have done that and, and, and met the protection um, requirements that they have set out to, to achieve. Um, but but we think there are definitely a number of things that can be done to improve. Um, I mean, we, we we are guided by four four principles in that respect. Um, firstly, and I think most importantly, is um, security, um, because as an insurance protocol, that's what we our objective is to protect people from security risks, and therefore, almost by definition, any. DeFi insurance protocol is subject to the same and possibly even more, um, you know, security. Um, we're, we're targeted, if you like, perhaps even more than other protocols. Um, and again, that's where having a CEO who has a, a background and a, a expertise and a passion, um, I should add, that he he shares with the whole team around security is really important. Um, so security is one. Um, we have um, then risk, scalability and UX as the other three. 
Um, so we try to minimize risk, which is the kind of, um, you know, counterpart to security in some respects. But the whole design of our business model is designed to reduce risk in a whole variety of different ways. Um, and um, and as I've said before, the DeFi category, the DeFi insurance category is very, very small. Why is that the case? I think there's a whole number of reasons. Um, and hopefully the marketplace concept that we put together for a whole variety of reasons is one that's scalable. Um, it's something that everyone wants to achieve, um, but it, it, it is really just a consequence of how you design the system that you put in place. Um, and then finally UX. And again, UX is one of those things that everyone knows is important. Everyone wants to be good at it. Um, it's not a secret that it's, you know, a massively important factor in success. Um, but actually getting it right, even though everyone knows it is important, is um, it's really difficult, really, really difficult. Um, so we do try really hard to um, get our community uh, giving very regular feedback to us. I mean, that's just one one thing that we can do. Um, but those are the four kind of guiding principles to how we can do better um, as a as a player in the DeFi insurance space. Mm, I think it's it's really interesting. We work with a lot of um, uh, traditional carriers now that are building out innovation functions, and one of the things that they're all looking at is, is things like net new risks. Um, but but you you hit the nail on the head there. Is is that it's not necessarily that in house they have the capability. And, and we're talking about data and and and, and skill sets to kind of deliver on on some of these uh, solutions. And and I know a criticism in the past in the insurance industry has been very good at selling insurance for people that don't need it, um, and actually trying to offer insurance, particularly in this net new space for emerging risks, is is particularly challenging. So that's why this kind of collaborative, um, the opportunity to collaborate from the insurance industry to to, to looking at um, alternative new uh, businesses that are offering um, different solutions is is very appealing um but I, i'm interested that, that you know why you, you also got a marketplace solution we love marketplace solutions on the on the podcast um uh for various reasons but but why was a sort of a marketplace the right type of solution for this type of risk um well so there's a i guess a variety of answers to that question probably probably the foremost answer is um scalability uh so uh that's the first answer so the um as a marketplace uh the um what what's created in the marketplace are cover pools um and those cover pools are created by cover creators and typically those cover creators are um defi or cfi projects themselves so neptune mutual is not a player so to speak um per se in the insurance space we we've put a or defi insurance category um if i can put it like that uh, we have a marketplace um and so we found with partners like okx for example um they've created a um a, a pool with cover policies um and that means um that not only is it scalable um because um anyone can contribute liquidity to that cover pool anyone in our ecosystem can contribute so it's not neptune mutual that's the constraint to the amount of liquidity in that cover pool um it, it, it anyone can provide liquidity and um, so that's one of the things but the second thing is um that who better to define what risks should be covered and then communicate um 
how they're covered with parametric cover, which is a bit different and requires some education and who best to do that than the projects themselves. Um, so rather than us um, struggling um, to communicate to you know, the entire blockchain community how parametric cover is different from um, other types of, you know, like discretionary cover, which is more typically found in this space, um, that requires some time and explanation as to what's different, how it works, and so on. And we find that whilst we're willing to help um, make those explanations, it, they do come more naturally and um, more simply and more directly from those who create covers. Um, so for those two reasons, scalability and um, the fact that the cover creators are tailing, tailoring cover policies to their specific community needs, for those two reasons, the marketplace seem to us um, a, a good approach. I mean, it's definitely not the only one, but from our point of view, um, those are the reasons why we liked it. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I, I picked this up with you previously when we spoke, but, but obviously Mutual is a particular implication in the insurance industry um you're obviously called neptune mutual um that lends itself to sort of how does how does the business generate money um just so we've got it in really simple terms how, do, how does the revenue come out of um the, the way that you've structured the business yeah well uh, i'd say um so the first thing is that um the mutual part of the neptune mutual name um isn't uh we're not a mutual in the traditional sense of of the word mutual. Um, that's the first thing. But there again, that's okay because nothing we're doing is that traditional anyway. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's 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 all new. It it is um it it it, it partly it partly um, conveys the idea that the um, we have an ecosystem, and that so in our particular case, which is obviously different from the normal traditional business sense, um, where you might talk about um, an association or a cooperative um, uh, or um, or other systems, um, but in our particular case, uh, our ecosystem is our token holders. Um, so whilst um, you know a mutual insurer perhaps would have collective self insurance. Um, our model isn't quite like that in the sense that um, th there isn't collective self-insurance where everyone um, is uh, putting capital into a combined bucket and then suffering equally or in a pro rata fashion if there is a loss. That's not how we work. Um, but nonetheless, what is true to say is that um, uh, we're not centralized. That's to say, you asked a question about um, revenue, and for me, um, for me, being having having been so long in the traditional business, revenue is very much the first thing you see on an income statement. Mm -hmm. um, and usually, traditional businesses want to have lots of revenue, relatively few expenses, lots of profit, um, and then you know give that back to shareholders or you know pay bonuses um, or you know IPO or one thing or another. The decentralized model, of course, is very different. And um, so we are part of our own ecosystem in the sense that we hold tokens. So we're not really looking to generate revenue um, because the revenue um, is is where centralized organizations extract value um, in some sense from the two parties that they're dealing with. Um, and in our case, the value is totally shared. So we're a peer-to-peer system where on the one hand you have users or individuals that are providing capital 
and for underwriting and making a return on that capital. And on the other side, you've got peers or individuals um, who are purchasing cover and, and benefiting from the protection of that underwriting capital. Um, and nearly all of the value is shared between those peers, which is what makes decentralized, of course, it's what makes those models so compelling um, because um, being being given as there's no central centralized organization, there is no need to extract any value. Um, now there is, um, so just to be completely transparent, there, uh, as is often the case, there are protocol fees um, that uh, are used, um, but that's really just to make sure that the whole project is sustainable long term, forever and a day. So there's sort of the the minimum level of operating costs are covered with protocol fees, um, but those the 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 protocol fees themselves are, if you like, um, shared with the token holders um, of the organization. Um, so yeah, decentralized models are quite different um, for, in that respect. Um, and and so there are very much uh, similarities between a mutual model, um, but it's possibly, um, if people are very familiar with mutual models, it might be a bit misleading if they think that they, that's exactly how the Neptune mutual model works, um, because it is a bit different. No, but I think I think the ethos carries through, um, and, and I can I can understand where that's a, where it's an appropriate title, and it's a it's, it's a cool name. So there's yeah, yeah. you've got to, that is that is also important too. Um, I'm always fascinated how long names get to take to get to put together as well, because um, yeah, it's always kind of part of the part of the part of the kickoff process. Um, I, I mean, talking about name and the strength of name, um, we talked about brand and and brand seems to be incredibly important to the crypto market. Um, how does insurance play into that or, or how does insurance solve a, an issue um, of, of a sort of attack against brand, as it were, in the crypto space? Um, well, that's really a great question and, and one that isn't asked enough. Um, so thank you for asking it. Um, and I think we can see um, uh, we can see through, uh, to be honest, a whole variety of um, different examples why brand is important. And the reason is because brand with brand comes confidence. Um, so obviously, it's a pretty general term. Um, and and why is confidence so important? Um, well, it's particularly important in um, fractionalized financial systems, as we've unfortunately seen with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and the reason is because obviously with um, traditional finance and um, and crypto, I mean, it, 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 it cr cuts across categories, but wherever you have fractionalized finance, that's to say uh, you have depositors depositing money, and they're, they're wanting to earn something for depositing that money. The only way a financial institution, so let's say a bank like SVP has, of generating a return for those depositors is to lend the money out. Um, so that's kind of obvious. Um, so, but then the obvious conclusion of that is, well, if if the bank's lending deposits out um, and everyone wants their money back all at the same time, then the bank's not going to have enough money to pay the depositors back all at the same time. Which is obviously, you know, the, the 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 in very simplistic terms, the issue around bank runs. Now, how so? Given that there's a structural problem with fractionalized finance, if everyone wants their money back all at the same time, you have to ask the question: Well, why would everyone want their money back all at the same time if that's what's causing the problem? 
And the answer to that question is people all want their money back in a scenario where they all lose confidence all at once. So why, why do they all lose confidence all at once? Um, and we had that quest question last year when it arose with obviously uh, FTX, so the centralized um, finance exchange uh, in the crypto markets. Um, and much of the commentary was around, well, obviously, the reason that people had no confidence um, was because there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, how can I put this, you know, um, incorrect activity going on, which there was, um, but the lack of confidence um, would have been solved if there had been auditing and if there had been, you know, regulatory compliance. And those are fair comments because both of those things do um, do uh, contribute towards confidence. But, but they're by no means um, a magic bullet solution, as we've seen with SVB because they were regulated um, and they were audited 14 days before they collapsed by KPMG. Um, and nonetheless, there was a massive loss in confidence that led to a bank run. So brand, to answer your question, and confidence is massively important. And um, particularly in the crypto industry where um, blockchain makes it very easy to withdraw funds, that's the whole point. Um, transactions happen very fast and very efficiently. Um, confidence is supremely important. Um, and that's why we found that cover creators like our parametric approach. Um, so just very briefly, um, one of the difficulties with insuring individual assets um, is that uh, when it comes to paying out on a, a, the loss of an individual asset, then you have to assess that loss. So imagine you have an exchange with 100,000 users and they all suffer a loss, that immediately means that you have to evaluate 100,000 different individual claims for losses. Um, now, Neptune Mutual uses a parametric approach where we actually, all we need to do is to assess the incident itself and not an individual's loss. Whether someone actually has made a loss is irrelevant to us. It's just the incident that happens. So in some respects, you could say um, the parametric cover is more like a hedging product. So that is is um means that the instant resolution process is scalable because we each time that there is an instant we have one instant to assess not you know a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million individual loss claims and because of that we can resolve that instant within seven days and there is a 24-hour cooling cool down period so um claims can be made within eight days of an instant why does that matter and why am i referring to this in relation to your question, it's because when there is a technical problem, some kind of hack or liquidity issue or something's gone wrong in blockchain, that project needs to sort the problem out really quickly to protect their brand, to give confidence back to their communities and resolve the problem really fast. Um, and that's what Parametric enables you to do in a way which it's far more difficult um, to do um, with a sort of discretionary approach. Um, now, discretionary protocols do work and they do solve problems, but the, the bigger the problem and the more people that are affected, the more challenging it is for them to solve the problem quickly. Um, and again, with brand, getting confidence back after you've had a problem is massively important. And so hopefully that's something that our uh, new and different approach can help with. It's 
uh, parametric is something we've discussed a lot on the podcast and um you know i've been a big owner of it I, I just you know just by virtue of my nature i'd i'd prefer less admin and more instant payment for everything i can get to um and then also as a small business owner it, it particularly resonates with me in that you know i'm i'm not going to go under through um anything other than potentially lack of cash flow if if, if that was my kind of uh, uh situation waiting for a payout and it puts you under is the irony of it but I, I was thinking about the the role that you're playing is is that parametrics usually i think for insurers is a brilliant way to create value in the brand of the insurer and so you've had a good insurance experience and it's a it allows you to wow a customer and we talk about wowing customers in the modern era all the time um but you're doing something even more challenging than that it, it, it's keeping confidence in a in a sort of to be a fledgling currency as it were so there's even more reason to kind of put in these things that are um innately transparent you know if x happens then 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 y will be delivered to you and in a short period of time so i can see how powerful that be um something you touched on was was liquidity um and um yeah this might be a, a more obvious question but but how does the design of Neptune Mutual help tackle those liquidity issues? Because I know that's something that it addresses. Uh, yes. So I guess there's, um, again, there's, there's various answers to that. So we, we've talked a little bit about the liquidity issues that um, cover projects can face. And so custody risk can be something that is covered by um, the, the cover pools. Um, so a cover creator can uh can create a policy that protects their community against that. That's the first thing. But I think your question was more um, around, if I if I understand correctly, more around uh, how do we design a, um, a cover protocol um, that lends itself. Perhaps that's not the right quite the right use of the word, but that is designed in such a way as to attract liquidity providers, um, because where you have a whole category. And I would say an important one like DeFi insurance with only $300 million worth of total value locked um, in relation to $50 billion worth of assets. Clearly, there's an issue with the uh, scalability of the provision of liquidity into that category. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we've looked at fairly, fairly carefully. Um, and as I said before, being a marketplace, um, there are uh, the users of the ecosystem can can put liquidity in and i think so some of the some of the factors that uh, are important to consider um perhaps first and foremost um i think you need to think when designing a system um on behalf of the person you're designing it for so a liquidity provider and one of the things that you really need to be careful of before investing capital uh, in a project is can i get it out um and DeFi insurance is one of those spaces where because you're using the capital to underwrite risks for a period of time, um, it's it's easy, it's easy uh, if you're not careful to end up with a situation where you put capital into a DeFi insurance um, protocol, that capital is used to underwrite risks, and then, then you can't get it out because it's being locked up and used to underwrite risks. And not only that, but the more the cover protocol is successful in writing more and more risks, then the less possibilities there are for you to get your capital out. <laughs> so um, we've designed in a system where uh, there is a window of seven days, every 180 days, where LPs can get their capital out. 
So I think that's really important. Um, and, and probably, you know, one of the other things I would say is where you're providing underwriting capital, it needs to be really transparent um, where the returns are coming from. Because, um, I mean, your listeners in particular will know um, that the returns that you get from providing underwriting capital should be directly linked to and correlated to the amount of risk that they're underwriting. That makes that makes entire sense. Um, now, in our case, we have um, cover pools that are denominated in stablecoin, both for the cover purchaser who buys their policies, and those fees are being used to pay the users who are providing the underwriting capital. So there's no mismatch in in the um, in the type of capital that's being used um, to reward the underwriting capital providers. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, and many protocols actually reward underwriting uh, or the, the providers of liquidity, LPs as we call them, with tokens, project tokens. And so you then have to look quite clearly, carefully at um, the returns that are being given because those tokens or the price of those tokens are probably being influenced by the crypto market. Um, so, you know, if the price of Ethereum is going up um, and the price of tokens are going up, then the returns that liquidity providers will be going up. And the converse is obviously the case. Um, so if if the movements, the market movements in crypto pricing um, are big, then that will significantly influence the returns that an LP is getting far more than the than the returns that are actually coming from the policy fees. And therefore, it, it becomes unclear as to how it is that you're making or losing money as an LP. And if it is simply that you're making money because the price of Ethereum, for example, is going up, well, maybe you're just better buying Ethereum full stop, rather than getting a return from the price of Ethereum, but nonetheless suffering the consequences of the risks of providing underwriting capital and that specific risk. So we, we've, in our cover pools, um, removed price volatility from the equation. So it makes it very much more transparent where um, the returns are coming from, which are the policy fees um, of those that are purchasing covers in stablecoin. So those are just some of the things which hopefully will um, you know, attract LPs to the site. They can understand the model, they can understand the system, where the returns are coming from, and you know, they can get their capital out. Yeah. Yeah, I think getting the capital out, I think, in the, is a really nice, um, t t timely thing to be talking about, should we say. Mm -hmm. um, the Something I'm surprised to learn, and, and, I, and I suppose this kind of resonated with me from um, the sort of 2008, 2009 times, um, but uh, I don't want to draw that negative connotation. But So I can buy this insurance without what we would traditionally think an insurable interest. Like I don't have to have active investment in this project to buy insurance on that. Um, I suppose one was just to explain that and uh, that, that, that I'm correct on that. But but if that is my understanding is correct, does that not potentially put us at risk of bad actors uh, further down the line? Um, well, I would say that uh, most businesses and pretty much everything is exposed to bad actors of one form or another. So um, so yes, we are exposed as everyone else is to bad actors. But I don't think specifically. Um, that relates to the sort of parametric approach. Um, so it's true to say that you don't need 
to suffer an individual loss. You don't have to have an asset loss. You don't have to hold an asset at all, in fact, to, to buy parametric cover. Um, but that is um, no different from uh, hedging products. And there's, I don't know, there's $130 billion worth of options out in the market at the moment. Um, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but certainly uh, traditional insurance parametric cover um, uh, doesn't require individual um, loss assessment. Um, and, and to be honest, that's one of its advantages. Um, it, it makes it makes uh, hedging risk that is um, very difficult to assess from an individual loss point of view. Um, it makes it uh, feasible. Um, in a in a really efficient way, and that's one of its sort of values, if I can put it like that. But you're right; we we do have to be very careful, um, and there are some scenarios which we have a need to protect against to make sure that if bad actors are the ones that are creating um, the risk incident, that they can't benefit both from creating um, the incident itself and then. Um, profiting a second time round from from the cover um, that they could potentially buy from our marketplace. And so we do have systems in place uh, to do our best to protect against that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely nailed on answer my question. Um, Edward, I could I could talk about this for, for, for a very long time because I think it's fascinating area and it's it's really nice to have someone come on and, and talk about a real sort of net new space for us as well so um firstly wanted to thank you for being guest on the podcast but um always like to end with a you know we're coming to the end of q1 um but we've got plenty of the year to go so and you raised you know relatively recently what's on the agenda for this year what what can we what can we expect to see further from neptune mutual for the rest of this 2023 uh, yeah, so there's exciting times ahead. Uh, so we we launched on Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain, layer one blockchain uh, in November. In January, we launched on uh, Arbitrum, which uh, some of some of your listeners may know is a lay, layer two scaling solution, which is it's, it's really fast um, with uh, low transaction fees. And we're now the one DeFi insurance cover protocol on Arbitrum. Um, we are looking to launch on other layer two um uh, scaling solutions as well. Um, so that's something to keep an eye out for. We are also launching uh, soon uh, our token, our uh, NPM token. Um, so that's exciting and will be happening uh, in a matter of weeks. Um, and that's really important for us because it will tie in um, our community into um, actively engaging um, in a number of new and different ways with the platform itself. So the NPM token is really important for us. And um, we also have a an NFT project. So again, people will be familiar with NFTs. Um, and in our particular case, um, we are very much tying it to use of our marketplace. Um, so though the those users uh, in our community that use our marketplace um, will uh, will gain points, and those points will allow them to unlock. Um, some NFTs, and we just hope that's uh, an interesting and fun and valuable way for the community that are using our marketplace to um, to find some extra value. So that's going to be launching fairly soon too. Wow, it's a busy year, busy year coming up. So, um, um, Edward, I really appreciate you finding the time. Um, like I say, genuinely insightful and interesting conversation. Um, and um, yeah, no, really appreciate you being the guest on the Leadership Insurance Podcast. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me, Alex. Thank you.